pray together. Father, that is our prayer this morning. We are truly weak. We are truly broken. We are truly desperate on the inside. And God, we need you. And Father, this morning as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and speak to each one of us, God. That we would hear from you this morning and leave this place forever changed. God, we love you. We thank you in advance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good afternoon. It's good to see you all here this afternoon. We are on week two of our all-in sermon series, uh, which coincides with our giving initiative, which is more of uh, less of a giving initiative and more of just the first few pages of a new chapter in the Solid Rock story and what God is doing in and through our church. And if you're visiting with us this morning, um, I want to let you know you stepped into Solid Rock at a really exciting time. Um, this is a time where, uh, first of all, let me just say thank you for all of you 1145 uh, folks, families who are able to do this. Um, our last service had front row seating only. So if you don't want to be invited to sit in the front row, keep coming to this service. Uh, but we're at that point in the 10 o'clock, and so your commitment to this service um, has allowed us to, to put off uh, buildings and giving initiatives and those sort of things until we were really truly ready. Um, for, for, for lack of better words, this has kind of bought us some time to be good stewards of God's resources. And so thank you, because it wouldn't work if you didn't come to this service to be a part of that. Because God is doing so much in our church and moving in so many lives, You're out there sharing that with people, inviting people to come be a part of it. And so right now we're working on and ramping up to begin looking at plans to build a bigger box, because that's all it is. Just a place for God's people to gather to worship, for lives to be impacted and changed for eternity. And uh, and so this is week two in the All In series. Now, this is less about um, numbers and finances, and it's more about surrender and unity. When we talk about All In, we initially mean each life, all in, surrender to Christ, following him wherever he leads. But when we do this as a church, what we mean is a unified walk of faith where we all are throwing in and saying, hey, we want to follow God by faith together wherever he would lead us. And so whether you've been here 10 years or this is your first Sunday, um, we want you to be a part of that journey. We believe that God has an amazing work to do still through this church and in this community. And, uh, and so we're just, we're humbled that God is doing what he's doing. Uh, we're honored, and at the same time, we want to be ready for that. So, um, so what we're going to do this morning, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, or page 24 in your um, all-in booklet. Um, if you didn't get one of those, there, uh, we have extras in the hallway just outside the double doors. Uh, feel free to snag one of those and take it home with you. Um, and, uh, and if you want to take notes, page 24 is where the notes are. Um, But more importantly, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 this morning. So what we're going to do today and then next Sunday is we're going to talk about the source of an all-in lifestyle. What do we mean? See, there's a danger um, in just simply presenting a challenge to people because when we hear challenge or we're challenged, a lot of us are competitive by nature. We want to step up to that challenge, and if we're not careful, we'll step up to the challenge on our own strength. And we'll be missing a key element, the element of faith. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to be talking about faith and how how faith factors into an all-in life for Jesus. We're going to break faith into two components. I think like a lot of 
terms, even biblical terms we use in our culture and society like love, we need to define those terms. We need to talk about what we mean. When we say faith, are we simply um, just talking about a gut feeling or something that we want to be happening? happening? Are we talking about wishful thinking? What do we mean when we talk about faith in God? And so what we're going to do is break faith into two components. First is belief. Right? There has to be an element of belief, an element of believing more than what you can see or tangibly measure, right? But we know, and we're going to see this morning, that belief alone is not the fullness of what faith, mean. faith means because it's a belief that compels us to step out. It compels us to move. It compels us to action. And so we're going to break faith into belief this Sunday and trust next Sunday. So in Luke chapter 18 is where we'll begin today. This is a story, uh, a well-known story about an encounter between Jesus and a man who's known as the rich young ruler. Um, That that title is given to describe uh, this particular um, man's uh, living situation. He was wealthy. Um, Potentially, he was extremely wealthy for a young man. We're going to see that he was highly moral and and therefore probably influential. He was probably well-known in his culture and society. And he's going to approach Jesus right essentially having everything together in his life, and he's going to ask about how do you inherit eternal life? It's going to be a couple times that hopefully Jesus catches us off guard today and how he responds to that. Starting in verse 18, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And then he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Let's start back in verse 18. Initially, what is this guy looking for? So he comes to Jesus looking for something, and he calls Jesus the good teacher, and he wants to know from Jesus, what do I need to do to get in? What do I need to do in this life to make sure that I set up the next life? I've, I've done all I can in this life, and I'm pretty secure. I've got a lot going on. I've got a lot of wealth. I'm highly, I've got my morality together. Um, I've got a lot of influence. I've got this life together. I'm not asking about this life. What I'm asking about is how do I set the next life up to be secure right, and to have the things I want? And so Jesus responds to him in a really peculiar way. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. That's a strange thing for the holy son of God to say, isn't it? What we have to understand is in this moment, Jesus' motive is not to establish his identity with this man, but to expose some things about this man's heart and about the questions that he's asking. So Jesus said, let's talk about what it means to be good for a minute. And so Jesus asks him about the law, right? Goes to the commandments, Murder, stealing, honor your mother and father. And the guy's response reveals something about where his security is. What does he say to Jesus? These things I have kept since I was a young boy. What he's saying to Jesus is this. I have an impeccable moral record. If that's what it takes to get into the kingdom of God, I must be in good shape because I have it together. Now, What Jesus is doing here is very similar to what he does in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches through the Ten Commandments, essentially. 
And what Jesus does is he takes each commandment that he teaches, like, for example, adultery. He said, you've heard it said, said, do not commit adultery. Well, I tell you the truth. If you've committed adultery in your mind, you're already guilty. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you've harbored anger and bitterness in your heart towards your brother in Christ, you've already, you're already guilty of murder. So what Jesus does is he takes a, a, a society that, that felt like they were pretty secure in their morality, and he ups the standard to show them how they're morally corrupt on the inside. That regardless of what's coming out of their lives, on the inside they are corrupt and desperately in need of help. And so obviously this, this particular individual, um, he found a lot of security in his morality. He's bold enough to say to the Son of God, I'm a moral person, and I've kept the law since I was a young boy. Now, essentially what this man is asking of Jesus is, how do I get in? How, how can I get saved? How can I, how can I know that I have eternal security and where I don't have to worry about what happens in the next life? You know, it's interesting because, you know, Jesus could have said, believe in me. He could have said, trust in me, Right? He could have said, confess your sins, repent of your sins, have faith in me that I'm the son of God, but he didn't. What he does is he walks this guy through a conversation to expose some things about his heart. And in a courageous kind of way, I'm praying God would do that for us today. Because see, in this particular culture and society, um, to be self-righteous often meant that people, on the, people esteemed you to a high office, Maybe a Pharisee or a teacher of the law. If you had it together on the outside, you were somebody in that culture and society. It's somewhat like that today, but in a more subtle way, I think most of us can relate with a much more subtle version of this self-righteousness where we put together our own checklist of the law, right? And, and we, we do it in such a way where it's manageable, we can control it, and we check off our boxes in such a way that at the end of the day, we try to make ourselves feel better, Right? about that corruption deep on the inside, deep down. And what ends up happening for, all, for many of us is we get, we get stuck in this cycle of what I call counterfeit identity. And I bet every person in this room can relate to trying to be better on your own strength. Right? Surely there's been a moment where you've acknowledged something in your life you didn't like or you became convicted of and you want to change it. Now, you may have responded differently. Some of you may have walked an aisle and knelt down and prayed, or you asked somebody to pray for you, or just in your own mind, you said, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do this thing, only to do what? To step out on your own strength and inevitably fail and circle right back around and do the same thing over. When that happens, we're left with just a couple of options. One option is to walk away, to walk away from God, the church, and God's people, and just, right, to try to turn our back on those things so we're not reminded of our failures. Well, the other option, and oftentimes the most popular option that I see in the church today is we pull up the religious smokescreen. We begin working on our acting skills. We begin practicing the lines. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm blessed and highly favored. Right, And we practice the part until we convince others that we're actually better than we are. And so what happens is we get in this vicious cycle, right? Because on the inside, nothing's been fixed. Even though like this guy on the outside, we've morally got it together. We've maybe convinced others on the inside. We know the truth. We put our head down on the pillow at night. We know the corruption deep down. We know that we've failed in our minds and our hearts, regardless of what's coming out of our lives. And at best, we've just become good actors. 
And we get stuck in this perpetual counterfeit identity cycle. Well, I think this is where this guy is. He's been relying on, on his projection of himself. Highly moral. And Jesus knows this and he's going right after it to expose some things in this guy's heart. If you're taking notes with us today, the first statement is this. We're going to be talking about all-in faith. All-in faith means abandoning your faith in anything other than Jesus as the only way to to attain eternal life in God's kingdom. Now, we may know that theologically, or maybe this is the first time you've thought about that. That's the only way you can get to heaven is to trust in Jesus and him alone. We may know that or somewhat believe that, but functionally, oftentimes, our lives look a little different, don't they? We look like people that are trying to earn our way into God's favor, or we we find ourselves on the inside beating ourselves up and we didn't get through the checklist. When that happens, what we know is this. We were relying on our own strength to impress God or to earn our way into his kingdom. And so this has got to be more than just a conceptual belief. It's got to be something that we, we trust in, right? Completely, 100%. That the only way to attain eternal life is through Jesus, which should lead us to a willingness to abandon our security in other things. And what Jesus is doing first is he's calling this guy to abandon his security and morality in his own ability to impress God by being good. Now Jesus is going to go after something else. In verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now Jesus is shifting from morality to what? Finances and possessions. See, this guy didn't ask, what do you want me to do with my money? He said, how do I get into eternal life? And the first thing that Jesus does is he begins to show him the the insecurity of trying to be a highly moral person to impress God. And now what he's going to do is he's going to expose this guy's other security blanket, and that is his own finances and possessions. I think a mistake we make with this story is to think that it's about morality or possessions. It's not. What's Jesus after here? His heart. And he sees inside of his heart that he's got two security blankets He's trusting in his ability to be highly moral, and he's, a, he, he's, he's uh, trusting in, he's latching onto his possessions, his earthly fame, and what he has acquired for himself. And what Jesus is doing is saying, if you want eternal life, you've got to loosen up your grip on both of those things. Neither one will impact eternity. This is very similar to something that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 when he's talking about treasure in heaven and and what we do with this life. In Matthew 6 verse 19, Jesus says this, he he says, do not lay up, that's the idea of storing or saving up, for yourselves treasures on earth. So he's not saying um, don't have any possessions, what he's saying is don't store those things up. Don't save up a bunch of treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What he's talking about is what I I call the garage sale um, syndrome, where today's treasures are tomorrow's garage sale items. How many things have you either donated or sold in a garage sale that at one point in time you just had to have? Right? We have this, this garage sale 
issue going on where this is what I have to have today and I'm willing to sacrifice to get it, to buy it, the latest version of it. And then what happens next year is it's outdated and we just want nickels on the dollar. If anything, we'll just give it away. What does that, what does that say about our hearts? That if we're not careful, we'll get stuck in this cycle of chasing after our security and our joy and things that we want today that we don't really care about for tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't lay up and store up a bunch of junk here on earth that's gonna end up in a garage sale. Either in your life or after you die, guess what your kids are gonna do with a lot of it? They're gonna put it in their garage sale. So I said, don't store up a bunch of this junk that's gonna end up in the garage sale. Then he says, but instead in verse 20, but lay up or store up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So that makes sense, right? So let's don't store up a bunch of junk here that moths and rusts and right that, that things that deteriorate and, and break down. Let's store up things that are eternal. Now, we need to ask, how do we do that, right? How do we, how do, we do that and why do we need to do that? And so Jesus is gonna say in verse 21, um, this very revealing statement. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we know at the bottom Line. Jesus is not talking about possessions here. What's he talking about? Hearts. When we're storing up treasures in this life, in, in, right, in the here and now, what does that say about our hearts? It says that we find value, joy, and security in the here and now. But when we're storing up or laying up treasures in heaven, what does that say about our hearts? It means that we, we believe something about eternity is better than what we have right now. And then he says this in Matthew 6, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will devote, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so for this, this guy who's approaching Jesus, it's really not about morality, and it's not really about money, it's about where his heart is. And Jesus sees his divided heart. Now, let's, let's establish some things. First of all, what he wants is good, right? He wants eternal life. I want that. Right? So he's not wanting a bad thing. He's coming to Jesus, believing Jesus knows how to get it. That's a good start, right? So on some level, he's believing the right things. The problem we're going to see in just a minute is what he believes it's worth. Let's stop for just a minute and think about our own hearts. Shall we? What does it mean that where my treasure is, there you will find my heart? I think it's the reason why I'm so sensitive or defensive when it comes to talking about money. Because you're getting close to my treasure. And I think that's what's gonna happen with this guy is that Jesus, in just a subtle little statement, touches this man's treasure, a.k.a. his idol. And I think that's the reason why, right, we like for money to be out of the conversation. Don't talk about it. Why? Why are we so defensive about it? Because, because where our treasure is, there you find our hearts. And what would it say if all my treasures were laid bared, bare and exposed? You know, what does the story of my bank account and my credit line say about where my treasures are? What does the garage sale I have in my house say about where my treasures are? The second statement in your notes is this. All in faith means believing that eternal life in God's kingdom, this is so important, is better. 
believing that eternal life in God's kingdom is better than anything else you have. It's not bad to desire to be moral. That's a good thing, right? We just don't want to find our eternal security in that. It's not bad to have possessions. Those aren't bad things. God blesses us with those things, right? The problem is when we begin to trust in those things or find eternal security in those things. And indirectly what we're saying is what I have in my hands is better than eternal life. See, Jesus isn't after this guy's money. He's not after his morality. What he wants this guy to see is that what you're asking for, eternal life, is better than what you have in your hands. He's speaking to a man who's white-knuckling his morality and his possessions, and he's saying, loosen the grip a little bit. You can't come follow me as long as you are attached to these things. Let go of your morality. Let go of your possessions, and then you'll be ready to come follow me all in. All in faith means seeing eternal life in God's kingdom is better than anything else you have here. It doesn't mean to be a Christian you've got to go sell all your stuff and get it, give it away. But it does mean this. It's not enough to wear a t-shirt and say I'm all in. Right? We know that God has spoken to his people in the scriptures and said you honor me with your lips and your t-shirts but your heart is far from me it's not enough what jesus is looking for is our hearts all in saying what you have to give is better than anything else i have here on earth in verse 23 rather than responding to jesus in complete faith he walks away sad when he heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich So at the initial part of this conversation, he may have been willing to let go of his morality, but in the end, he wasn't willing to let go of his possessions. What I have here, Jesus, in my possessions, I feel like is better than what you're offering me. Think about that. For this guy, it was a matter of belief. He didn't believe that what Jesus was offering him in eternal life was actually better than what he had. He believed it was good, right? He wanted heaven, He just didn't believe it was better than what he had here on earth. And so he went away sad. He didn't go away sad because Jesus said, you can't get into heaven. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't walk away sad because Jesus said, hey, it's not possible for you. He walked away sad because he didn't believe that eternal life was better. In James chapter 2, um. James reveals some things about our our hearts and our connection between what we believe and what we do. For James, it's not enough to just say, I believe in God. He's gonna say, that's great, the demons do that. But there needs to be something coming out of your life, a tangible expression of this belief if if you truly believe. James says it this way in verse, chapter two, verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? So for James, it's not enough just, to, just to, to be wishfully thinking about life or just to believe conceptually that eternal life is real and that, that God wants you to have it. He says, listen, something's gotta come out of that. Something's gonna be coming out of your life, which we'll talk about more next week, but look at what he says. He says, here's an example. If a brother or sister is 
poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. You see somebody who has a genuine need, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, which is a, a, a nice way of saying good luck with that. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is death. And so, or is dead. And so what James is saying to me is it's not enough for me to stand before you and go, I have faith. Well, that's fine. The demons do that. What do you have faith in? What do you believe is actually true? And what he's saying, here's a good test for you. Are you willing to loosen up your grip on possessions for the sake of others? Because if not, what are you believing in? You're believing in this life and what God has to offer in this life, and you're not truly believing that eternal life is better. Because if that's the case, you will readily lay down things in this life for the sake of others. That's pretty challenging to me. It's not, not enough for me just to give my weekly check to the church or do my, my annual mission trip. or You know, those things we put in our calendar that are part of the, kind of the, the predictable, comfortable Christian life. What Jesus is calling us is to lay those things down and to step out on faith and say, here I am, use me. Whatever you ask of me, I'm ready to do it. I think uh, we were talking in community group last night about being all in and how that, if you really think about it, that's kind of a scary thing. To say, here I am, God, no strings attached, right? Completely letting go of anything and everything. And I think part of our fear is that we think that if we do that, God's gonna call us to move to Africa and live in a hut and, right, sell everything we have. He, he may do that, fair warning, he may do that. However, that's not, that's not the most common thing that he does, right? I was just thinking about like the, the Rathbun family. We've got a family that's been in the Philippines for about three weeks now. Two months ago, they were just sitting in here in this room worshiping with us, and right, they were preparing to go, but, but God spoke to them and said, sell all your stuff and move to the Philippines. And so they, they did it. He do, God does that, right? But for most of us, what God's saying is if we'll step out on faith and say, I believe you, I trust you, I'm gonna let go of my security and stuff and things and what I can do, God, what do you wanna do with me? You know what he's gonna most often say to you? Men, he's gonna say, I want you to go home and I want you to serve your wife. I want you to love her better. Ladies, I want, you to, I want you to follow your husband's leadership, not just when he's on top of his game, but when he's struggling too. Parents, quit jumbling up your schedule with junk and start making time for your, your family and your kids and your marriage and your things. Right? So it's a scary thing to step out and go, God, what do you want to say to me? I'm ready. Do whatever you ask of me. Because ultimately, we know what? He's going to call us to let stuff go. See, for this particular guy, it was his possessions. It may, that may be your struggle. It may not be. But when we, when we believe in a way that, that truly encompasses, I, I believe that what you're offering me is better, we let go of stuff in order to take hold of what God asks us to do. All in faith is a willingness, a willingness to give up everything to follow Jesus. This guy's problem is not that he wasn't a big donor. His problem is that he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing. At the end of the day, I'm not willing to give up my stuff for you, Jesus. All in faith is a willingness to give up everything to follow Jesus. You know, there's a, a story in Mark 12 where Jesus pulls his disciples aside and teaches them a valuable lesson about generosity and giving, um, because I think like us, we get caught up in dollar amounts. 
We get caught up in this idea that, that generous giving means that I need to give a big number. In, in Mark 12, Jesus does something really interesting. He's in the temple, and he, he, he takes a seat across from the, the giving box. So like we have our brown boxes here. It's like he pulls up a chair and just sits down and just watches people give. How intimidating is that? But he uses this as an opportunity to teach his disciples something about giving. In verse 41, we read this, that he sat down, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now, wait a second. That doesn't make sense mathematically, does it? Pragmatically, Jesus has lost his rocker and he wasn't paying attention. This is a great learning opportunity for his disciples. Why? Listen, church history is full of big donors. Jesus wasn't looking for a big donor when he encountered this guy. He's not looking for big donors in our church. If you have anyway bought into that idea that if I give a bunch of money to the church, God's gonna be pleased with me. Man, let go of that. It's not what he's looking for here. He sees a bunch of big donors giving and then he watches this poor widow lady drop two coins in and he says to his disciples, guess what? She actually gave more than all the rest of them. And then he explains in verse 44, he says, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And so at the end of the day, what Jesus is saying is this is not a money issue or a morality issue, it's a heart issue. I'm not looking for big donors. I'm not looking for people who are highly moral in their own strength and efforts. What I'm looking for are hearts that are all in. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve everything here on earth and also serve me. You've got to make a choice here. If you're going to be all in, right, you've got to be ready to abandon your security in everything here on earth and begin to walk by faith and follow me. Now, here's where we are as a church. We know this is an individual call, but right now we believe God is calling us to this as a church to go all in, to walk by faith, to follow him, to trust him, and to say, right, with everything that we have, God, you are better than anything else here on earth. If ever in our journey, a building or financial campaign divides us, we've lost sight of that. It's true in the church, and it's true in your own homes, right? If ever money becomes a divisive factor, right, all of a sudden, money has become more important than God. What's happening in this life is more important than eternity. Listen, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. They're just boxes, right? These buildings are just boxes. They're just places for us to meet that God would continue this amazing work that he's doing through our church. Our vision is not changing. We're still on a mission to make disciples for Jesus through gathering and worship, growing together in community, and living the mission in our everyday lives all we're talking about is taking it up a notch instead of being part way in let's be all in unified together on this journey whether you've been here 10 years or 10 minutes we want you to be part of this journey we've uh we've already begun uh 
receiving and hearing stories about how God's working in the hearts of our people here, and we're going to be sharing those in the services on Sunday. And so we're going to take a minute now to listen to a story of one of our families, uh, Wes and Janet Stevens. And so if you guys are ready, let's roll that video. My name's Weston Stevens, and this is my wife, Janet Stevens. And uh, we have three children, uh, 12-year-old son, Clayton, 10-year-old daughter, Sakura, and a six-year-old daughter, Dallas. And we've been coming to Solid Rock uh, since October of 2012. Our community group leaders and um, Janet <coughs> works in the toddlers over in the kids' building. Our kids are uh, attenders of Awanas, and um, we have also gone on a couple of Solid Rock mission trips um, in the Philippines and in Oklahoma. God really used the people here at Solid Rock to um, help strengthen our marriage. When we came to Solid Rock at first, we'd been dating um, and you know, coming together as a, as a married couple and the leadership and the guidance that was given to us by the, the leadership in our community group um, was extremely beneficial to us in, in growing our marriage so that it kept God central um, in our focus as well as uh, helping us to make sure that we're raising godly children in our homes. For me, I would say it's seeing the changes in my husband and seeing him follow God in different areas, um, it, and it, it could be a Sunday sermon, it could be, you know, um, our kids talking in the backseat about what they learned, it could be, you know, many different things, but uh, seeing him change, and I, could, I can see changes sometimes just after a sermon and throughout the week as he's thinking about it, but just watching him follow God has been extremely impactful. Well, and just how the messages uh, we both leave church on Sunday a lot of times convicted and, and we talk about the sermon you know on the way home and basically um, how it spoke truth into, into our lives and just having a conversation about things that we need to work on you know individually or collectively so um, one of the things that uh, that we're learning about generosity is the intentionality of it um, making sure that that when we are giving and whether it be financially or with our time that we're intentional in what we're doing and that it has purpose in what we're doing. I hope just by example that we're able to uh, to show our children that you know you give you know out of a, a grateful and thankful heart not out of obligation. Uh, if you're if you're not fired up about the, the movement at Solid Rock to just uh, to just trust God and and uh, know that he's got a, a much bigger plan for uh, for our community than than what we may have we're called to uh, to be all in in this initiative because this is God's plan for Solid Rock and for our church not so much um, what we feel uh, is important or the direction that that we want to go. Uh, we just have to trust God and and uh, just be faithful in, in uh, what He's calling us to do.
you know, there's two, two things I really love about um, how God is leading us right now to take this journey. Um, the first thing is this. Um, you may already be aware of this, but we're, we're doing a one-fund initiative, which means we won't be asking for people to designate money to a specific account and then putting up a thermometer and measuring those gifts. Um, we're doing this in such a way where everything's going to be anonymous, um, you know, just between you and your family and the Lord, um, you know, even in terms of, you know, what you're giving and getting the, you know, how that was reported to you. Um, it's between you and the Lord, okay? That's our, we don't have any expectation for you other than just pursue the Lord and whatever he asks you to do. But the second thing and what that frees us up to do is to keep the main thing the main thing for each family to think, think about what God's calling them to do. And whatever that is, just like this man that Jesus encountered, you would look at what God is doing through our church and realize that this is about eternity, okay? Uh, it's not about what we're gonna build and store up for ourselves here. This is about lives being changed, marriages being changed, lost being saved. Um, and so I wanna, I wanna leave that with you um, today. We're gonna come back next week and talk about the second element of faith, which is trust. Uh, and so I'm excited to do that. Um, but here's what I wanna do now. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way God's leading you and has spoken to you today. Um, you know, maybe God's calling you today to let go of not your possessions or your, your money or your morality, but maybe he's calling you just to lay your life down, deny yourself, and, and to re-engage in your marriage or to re-engage in some relationships that you have at work or some friendships. Maybe God wants to, to call you just to re-engage in that missional lifestyle where you're constantly looking for opportunities to be used by him. So I don't know how God is speaking to you today. We want to give you that opportunity to, to hear from him and respond. Um, I don't know everybody in the room, and so some of you today, maybe for the first time through the story of the rich young ruler, have come to the realization, oh, um, so to get into heaven doesn't require that I donate a bunch of money or that I'm highly moral and have everything fixed up on the outside. It's a matter of the heart. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that. You know, maybe you grew up in church or you've had this false idea of what church is, and you thought you have to get your life together before God will do any, have anything to do with you. Maybe you're hearing today that that has nothing to do with it that we are saved by faith alone. And so I wanna extend that opportunity to you. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian, you wanna know more about becoming a Christian, um, our prayer partners are gonna be at the back of the room during these next two songs, and they're here to talk with you and pray with you. And if you've got questions about becoming a Christian, what that means, they're here to answer those questions. Um, as we sing, you may just wanna stay seated. Maybe you're continuing to hear from God or just there's some things that you still haven't got off your chest you wanna pray about. I want you to feel free to do that. Um, others of you, you'll be ready to sing. We're gonna do that as well, but here's what we want. We wanna to respond to what God has spoken to each one of us personally. Um, let me pray for us and then we'll do that. Um, God, thank you for um, just the, the beautiful truth of scripture this morning. Um, God, thank you for speaking. I thank you for reminding us once again that where our treasures are, that's where our hearts are. And this morning, God, would you lead us in a time of just personal inventory? God, would you grant us a moment just to think about where the treasures in our life truly are? And Father, would you continue to guide us as a church and as individuals in this path of sweet surrender? this unified declaration, God, we need you. We need you and you alone. So Father, work in this room, work in our hearts, guide us now as we respond. We pray in Jesus' name.